You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas from BleacherReport.com. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, people are running out of time to get their hands on these t-shirts. What's to become of them? These people or the t-shirts? First the people, then the t-shirts. Well, the people are going to be assed out like it ain't no thing. They're going to be walking the streets seeing other people wearing these Dundasso shirts, and they'll be like, how do I get one of those? And those people, you know what they'll say? You can't. They'll say you can't. I guess we'll know who those people are because they'll just be wandering around shirtless. They'll be yeah. too ashamed to put on a regular T-shirt. Wandering around like suckers, just wearing just wearing their short pants and I, nothing else. I feel sad for them. I really do. I know. It's I pity them. Yeah. So you got seven days, people, to change your bum life and go over there to cottonbureau.com and buy these Dundasso shirts if you want them because after... Seven days from now, they will vanish into the ether of history. They'll be forgotten by time, except that everybody in the club will be walking around looking good as hell wearing them, except you if you don't have them. Oh, man, to be in that club. I pity those people. Yeah. I really do. Anyway, how are you doing this week, Ben? I'm doing all right. You're just rolling in t-shirt money yet, or, or we haven't got those checks? I, I keep going to the mailbox every single day. Keep coming back with a Sunset Magazine or whatever it is my wife subscribes to. Pretty soon, though. Pretty okay. soon that money's going to start rolling in. I assume you've already spent it oh, yeah. in, your, in your mind, if nothing else. That and lots of other money that I don't have yet. So, yeah, pretty soon you'll be cashing in. Uh, this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast is brought to you again by Fulton & Rourke. Fulton & Rourke just launched their new aftershave towelettes. We just got ours in the mail during the last week. I've tried a few of them, and they, they are actually pretty great. In fact, everything I've tried from Fulton & Rourke, in all honesty, has been higher quality than the stuff I've used in the past, from the shaving cream to the bar soap. Uh, they've basically converted me into a customer over the course of sponsoring the Co-Main Event Podcast, which is it's kind of a cunning plan. Diabolical. When you think about it. Now they've got these aftershave towelettes, which are formulated with a cleansing and soothing combination of witch hazel, eucalyptus, and tea tree, so they leave your skin feeling clean and balanced. First of all, how do you end up with stuff to pronounce like witch hazel, eucalyptus, and tea tree? I'm over here with bergamot and salsam root and whatever. It must just be a coincidence. The teaver. It has absolutely nothing to do with the guy who comes up with the copy. Uh-huh. Well, see, each towelette is individually packaged so you can use them anywhere, from the gym to your home to some exotic locale like the bus station, bathroom, outside Barstow while you're waiting for your lady Ida Mae to put her kids to bed and come pick you up. Because they tone your skin and leave it feeling refreshed. They're perfect anytime you need a little pick-me-up. Right now, CME listeners can save $15 on any order of $75 or more with the coupon code CME2016. Just go to FultonAndRourke.com and enter the code CME2016, that's all one word, at checkout. Three rounds as usual this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, just when you start thinking there's not much for old Glover Tashira to do in the UFC light heavyweight division, this cagey old bitch calls out Anthony Johnson. And we all have to admit to ourselves, 
Hashtag Woodwatch. Woodwatch. And in round number two, laugh now, motherfuckers, but let's all just hope that interim champion Oven St. Prue is a benevolent leader and not the biggest pussy John Jones has ever seen like the last guy. And in round number three, this weekend, Benson Henderson vies to become the first man to hold titles in the UFC, Bellator, and WEC. And I can't decide if that's important or just made up. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first, like we always do about this time, Let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. So is Sir Nigel just no longer part of our of our weekly mixed martial arts podcast? I'm told that he is on some journeys, a bit of a walkabout, if you will. Uh, but he returns this week, not so, to the show, but to to our town, immediate vicinity. So maybe next May, week. Maybe next week. Possibly next week. Well, though, who knows what could happen to a guy like Sir Ni- Sir Nigel between now and next week? I mean, because I'm of two minds here. Like I I realize that there's an extent to which this podcast can impose on Sir Nigel. I mean, at some point, he's probably just going to tell us to fuck off, right? Maybe he has, and we just didn't understand <laughs> him. He could. He is English, so yeah. the subtlety is his strong point and perhaps not ours. Vaguely English, yeah. But then my other mind is, if he leaves the show, then we're going to have to find something else for you to do because wrangling Sir Nigel is basically your only task. It's 90% your only of off-air task. It's not, about 90 95%. So your employment hangs in the balance Although, along with his. I don't know if you want to count the other stuff I do, like counting the silverware before Sir Nigel leaves, you know, just to, to make sure everything's on the up and up. I mean, that might fall under wrangling him, but it's an important task. First question this week comes to us from Deuce Danger Drummond. Now, see, Ben, I would think if your first name is Deuce, you don't need the nickname Danger. Unless the nickname was forced upon you for reasons that we don't yet understand. I guess that's true. Maybe Deuce is what his mama called him, and Danger is the name that he earned through some some brand of either heroism or just, uh, you know. On the mean streets? On the mean streets. Yeah. Anyway, Deuce Danger Drummond, the Triple D, writes, Your boy Kevin Ferguson got popped for PEDs, so unless it turns out that some MFer with a dirty glove touched Ken's shit and then touched Kimbo's shit... Never it, get tired of that. <laughs> it looks like the mayor of Slice Town is headed for a Frank Mir-style forced retire... Hold up, what's this? <laughs> Those crazy dudes at Bellator booked Kimbo a fight against Big Jimmy Thompson in July in the fictional city of London? Well, this has got to be the most not giving a fuck, are you fucking kidding me moment of all time, right? Right? So, pretty good email from Deuce Danger Drummond. I see how, now that seems like a guy you'd want to refer to as Danger. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm inclined to agree with him. This yeah. is this is the most giving a fuck, or most not giving a fuck, are you fucking kidding me moment yet of, of the entire not giving a fuck, are you fucking kidding me, Bellator run that we're currently on yeah it's kind of impressive in a really disturbing way because it's just saying what are you gonna do none of this matters anyway the fight itself didn't matter it was ridiculous you were all really into it a dude almost died the other dude uh tested positive for steroids didn't even really bother throwing his weight behind a sincere like protest against that according you know and i was talking to our guy Stephen rocco who's been looking into this a little bit with the texas commission they're a little bit slow to respond because as i understand it uh large portions of texas are underwater right now as we speak so they might have some other things to worry about but the reason it's unclear exactly what his punishment is is because uh apparently kimbo has not responded to the complaint against them they don't that part has not yet been hammered out people assume that it's three months it could be uh we've heard before as long as a year um 
a paltry fine no matter it seems what you do in Texas. But that part has not even really been sorted out yet. And still, Bellator is just like, even if it were three months, it wouldn't be up yet. And Bellator is already saying, all right, that didn't even really matter. Barely even happened. Let's just move on and we'll book him a fight in the UK where guess who will test him? Nobody, as Chad Dundas would say. Nobody. Because it's not like Bellator is hiring USADA to come in there and and do a bunch of out of competition tests. No, no. What's happening right now is, is the opposite of USADA. And see, it's no Sada. I wrote a column about it today, and uh, no Sada. Okay, I don't know. I'm just. It's not like we have a script. I'm freestyling over yeah. here. No, we'll work on that one. Boo Sada. <laughs> it's getting worse somehow. Okay, all right. Uh, in the column I wrote it today, I was talking a little bit about how Bellator has managed to fly under the radar with the PED issue, just because we haven't expected much of Bellator. We've decided, you know what? Uh, the MMA has a PED problem, and the damn it, the UFC has got to fix it. And we we beat on that drum for a long time, and now the UFC, to its credit, is doing a lot to try and fix it. I mean, you can still say it's not a perfect system, but you can see improvements being made. A bunch of people popping under USADA, a bunch of people with the fear of USADA being put into them. It seems like we're we're changing the landscape a little bit, bit by bit. And Bellator could have just kept quiet on this issue. This, and we never would have said, like, hey, Bellator, why aren't you doing something like this? Why do you keep showing up to a bunch of Indian reservations? Why don't we hear more about Bellator drug tests? What are you doing on the anti-doping front? We were going to give Bellator a pass on that because I think we recognize they got enough problems. There's enough stuff to worry about. And then when you turn around and do something like this where you show that you do not give a damn about a failed steroid test, even if the other dude almost died, you almost got us into MMA's worst-case scenario, and you're going to turn right around and book the dude for a fight five months later, and you're going to announce the booking two months after the the initial thing happened. Like, that's where you're kind of throwing it in everybody's face how much you don't care on this issue, and... That's where I think we're a little bit of a mistake on Bellator's part because it just reminds us what they've not done that the UFC has done on that front. Yeah, uh, was it in the trading shots column that you did with Danny Downs that someone commented that the only rule now is whether or not we will watch? Is that maybe I saw that headline somewhere? I can't remember sure exactly where I saw it, but I thought I was struck by that. I thought that that's a that's a really good point here because like if you strip down all of this. Uh, fight game stuff to the to its barest essentials. Like essentially, what we're dealing with here, especially with Bar- Bellator, is a carnival hustle designed to make money. And it seems like the booking of Kimbo Slice versus James Thompson uh, over there at Piccadilly Circus uh, is is sort of an example of that. Like Bellator has kind of, at least in this one instance, pulled back the mask and revealed that they don't care at all what happens as long as we keep watching their show. Uh, and, you know, we can we can talk on our podcast till we're blue in the face and, and probably a lot of people, including maybe us, will still watch uh, Kimbo Slice versus James Thompson across the pond uh, over there in England. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah I don't want to say you got to give them credit because I don't think anybody necessarily deserves credit for what's happening here, but it's sort of like almost admirable. And it's just sort of like bald faced. This is what we're going to fucking do. And nobody's going to really give a shit at the end of the day. Wow. Okay. I mean, I, because that's what we're doing, right? That that's what what's happening. Here's what I wonder. Say you're James Thompson or big Jimmy Thompson, uh, as I believe he's referred to here. And you know, Kimbo's coming over there to face you in July. You know he was on steroids for his last fight. You know that 
whatever punishment he may or may not end up receiving, it's not enough to really change his behavior. And you know that he knows that he's going to face even less scrutiny on the drug test front for his next fight. Do you have any reason not to expect a juiced-up Kimbo in your, your rematch with him in July if you're, if you're big Jimmy Thompson? No, I think it's time to hit the GNC. If See, you're big Jimmy Thompson, and, and ask what they have behind the counter. You know what I mean? <laughs> you think that's how it works, huh? I have no idea how it works, but I imagine if you work at the GNC and you see the Colossus James Thompson roll in and he comes up to the counter and is sort of like, hey, what do you have in the back? Everyone knows, yeah. right? Push that button where the wall of creatine just slides over <laughs> and then the it good stuff It spins yeah. like a false door and on the back it's just steroids. But see, this is exactly one of, like why the argument against PEDs Persists. It's not because it's like some substances are unethical or just wrong and we just draw this line through it. It's because it starts this arms race like this. Well, and because you could fucking kill somebody. Um, although. Which you did. We well, did kill some. We I, killed him twice, in fact. Well, again. That's how dangerous these you substances can't even, are. You can't even say that Kimbo Slice killed Dada, even if Dada 5000 had stayed dead, according to his return. You couldn't even say that Kimbo Slice had done that. You could just say that he was nearby when that happened. But <laughs> the problem is, like, if you're, James, beauty who killed <laughs> if you're James Thompson, you would have to do the math on the situation and expect that Kimbo Slice is going to be juiced up. And then you'd think, okay, well, if I just want to protect myself, uh, I should probably go get juiced up too, even if I don't want to. And then that just becomes the price of admission into the entire sport. Uh that's, I think, the problem that we're we're not really paying attention to. Plus, man, I I can't understand how Bellator did not see this situation as a bullet that they dodged. We talked about this before. The Dada five thousand AP had actually died in there, and then the guy Kimbo steps shows up and tests positive for steroids. After that, that is exactly the nightmare scenario we have been scared of in MMA. Like that's the kind of thing that renews calls for banning MMA. That kind of one-two punch. Do you think that there was ever a moment between the Shamrock fight and this upcoming James Thompson fight where Kimbo got off steroids? Or do you think he's just been... Because at this point, it appears that there's no reason for him to ever get off steroids, so he could just be just on one long cycle. I think that's just how he rolls. Just cycling all the time. Well, we certainly don't see a noticeable difference in either like performance or how he looks. Uh, getting off the bus he always pretty much looks the same and he always performs at about the same very low cardiovascular level so it's not like you can really judge by that for all we know he's he isn't was born on steroids and judging by your by your metric there frankly the first kimbo slice james thompson fight what was that elite xc is that where we that's did right that? That was the, Back the, in the day? on CBS, the, right. that big debut. Yeah, the way that played out didn't leave us lead us to believe that it would be impossible for someone to die, right, in the rematch <laughs> right. 10 years later? Yes. All right, Nick, let's do next question here from Adam Bryant. He writes, am I the only one who is sad about BJ Penn coming back to fight Dennis Seaver? Uh, no, we are all sad about the news that... BJ Penn apparently is set to fight Dennis Seaver at UFC 199. When is that? June? I don't uh, know. Yeah, June uh, 4th. Sometime at the Forum. That's going down at the Forum in Inglewood, California. Oh, yeah. I really, I always forget the Forum is still standing. Yeah, that's the uh, Rockhold Weidman 2 card where you're also going to get uh, Dominic Cruz versus Uriah Faber. 
I was at an IFL event at the forum like 10 years ago, and even then it seemed to be crumbling all around us. So there could be some symbolism there. Okay. We really wanted to see it. Here's what I want to know. I think we can both agree that it's kind of sad for various reasons to see BJ Penn coming back to fight Dennis Seaver. Would it be sadder if he were fighting someone like Nick Lentz, which it seemed like was the matchup that maybe originally was going to happen, uh, somebody who seemed like would probably stand a better chance of putting just a really grinding, depressing beat down on him? Is this one more or less sad than a fight that BJ seemed like almost certain to lose? I think it would be, it will be more sadder, more sadder which I think is the technical term, if he loses, right? Because Dennis Seaver is at least a guy where uh, you think maybe BJ would have a shot, right? Well, yeah. Like, I mean, better I, than Nick Lance, certainly. It seems like Dennis Seaver was chosen because right. see, of his see, beatability I, I, here. <laughs> another technical term is beatability. Uh, I feel, <laughs> Not to be confused with brawlability, I very different. I feel like the matchup in and of itself of BJ Penn against Nick, Nick Lentz would have been sadder because it just would have set us up for what we all knew was coming. But the possibilities of BJ Penn versus Dennis Seaver has the potential to be sadder. But I mean, here we go. BJ Penn, 37 year old man. He's, he hasn't, uh, you know, he's only won one fight since 2009. He is uh one five and one with the draw with John Fitch, which that draw with John Fitch is really the anomaly in this latest stretch of BJ Penn fights where he lost to Nick Diaz, Rory McDonald, and Frankie Edgar. Uh, so, you know, not, not terrible competition. He's, he's fighting top guys in these last three fights that he's, he's lost right in a row. Uh, and now he's, he's gone down there and trained at the uh, Jackson Winklejohn Academy in New Mexico, which seems to be the, uh, the thing you do when you're pulling out all the stops, the thing that when you absolutely must win a fight, you and Sergio go down there and uh, do some time training in, in Albuquerque. Uh, so is, you know, what, what kind of BJ Penn do we expect to see? Will we see the sad ass BJ Penn who got beat by Frankie Edgar uh, in July of 2014? Or do we have reason to believe that maybe we'll see a slightly better BJ Penn show up. I think there's reason to believe that he'll be better than he was then when he showed up with that really questionable game plan uh, from the looks of it. But also, we get back to that question we often ask when it comes to fighters around BJ Penn's age and experience, which is, is a win worse for him long-term than a loss would be? Because if he lost to Dennis Seaver, then he'd probably do the same thing he did before where he went to the press conference and said, I don't know why I came back. I guess I just had to know for sure that it was over. Um, but I'm done. I, I need to stop doing this, and I mean it this time, uh, and then that might be it. But if he beats Dennis Seaver, a guy who it seems like was selected so that he could beat him, then he decides, I'm back, I'm reborn in the game, this working out at Greg Jackson's thing really agrees with me, next stop, lightweight title or featherweight title or whatever he decides. That seems like it's only going to prolong his commitment to staying in the fight game, which long-term probably worse for his brain. Without looking, can you tell me the names of the last three fighters that BJ Penn beat? Does it have to be an order? No, I'll give them to you in any order as long as you get them. Okay. Uh, Diego Sanchez. That's correct. Uh, let's see. That was at UFC 107, oh, Diego Sanchez. Wow. December 12th, 2009, Memphis, Tennessee. Um, Here, this will tell you how long ago that was. BJ Penn successfully defended the UFC lightweight championship in that fight. Yeah. Uh, Kenny Florian? Yes, that's correct. He beat Kenny Florian at UFC 101 
in August of 2009 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where BJ Penn successfully defended the UFC light, lightweight title. And I'm going to say Joe Stevenson? Well, no, actually, that's Joe Stevenson is his, well, close. He, had, he also beat Joe C. Here, okay, here's how it goes. You missed the most recent and arguably uh, yeah, the easiest like one, looking at one, Matt Hughes at UFC oh, 123. Right. So to, just to give you an idea how long it's been since BJ Penn was beating people in the UFC, his last three wins are Matt Hughes, Diego Sanchez, and Kenny Florian. Previous to that, he lost to George St. Pierre. And then previous to that, his wins were Sean Shirk, Joe Stevenson, and Jens Pulver. So if you look around that list, not a lot of relevant mixed martial arts fighters in today's world on that, on that list of guys that he has beaten. Yeah. All right, next question is we comes from Stephen Donnelly. He writes, when the big homie Khabib placed his inexplicably hilarious wig on Joe Rogan this past Saturday, I had a strange feeling of nostalgic glee come over me. A current UFC star had a piece of non-Reebok original distinguishable item to set him slightly apart from the crowd. I very much enjoyed this. Discuss. Uh, so, Ben, Khabib Nurmagomedov returns this past weekend. Uh, after what was it? A damn near two years out with various injuries. Obviously, he got short notice replacement opponent Daryl Horcher uh, at UFC on Fox 19, and uh, you know Daryl Horcher looked game, but was just completely overmatched by Nurmagomedov, who ended up winning TKO in the second round, uh, just shy of about four minutes into the second round. Uh, and then does he cuts like kind of an awesome Nurmagomedov style promo afterwards? puts the uh, traditional hat that he likes to wear on Joe Rogan. Uh, I don't know if we can declare that this means anything for Habib Nurmagomedov, except that he is literally back in competition. Uh, but it was interesting to see the UFC allow him to wear his traditional headdress, right? His traditional hat. But I was, you know, and the only thing I can do is speculate that he was allowed to do that either because of its cultural and, and, religious significance uh, to him and or he just didn't ask nobody. He just well, decided to wear it. Yeah, well, I also guess you can make the argument that it doesn't interfere with any of the Reebok stuff because it's not like he's wearing it over any Reebok stuff. Like right. Reebok doesn't have guys wear hats at all. You could argue, I guess, when Ben Rothwell wanted to wear his cloak, which I still think is a mistake to not let him wear it, that, hey, you're covering up the Reebok like stuff they paid some – not so great money really to be a billboard out there walking around. You put your cloak on over it uh, and they feel like, Hey, where's the, the value we paid for? Fine. Okay. I, I don't really agree with that argument, but I could see how you can make it. If you just put on the, the furry hat, what are you covering up? Right. I think though now it's hard to keep track of the comings and goings of UFC wardrobes, but they will not let, if I'm not mistaken, Henry Cejudo wear his Aztec gear. It is but, quite a get-up. But did they let Eric Perez, Goyito, wear his Mexican luchador mask that he wears? Did Was he allowed to wear that at his fight, his last fight uh, in November of 2015 or not? I think that he was. I think that at the end of the day, they decided to let him do it. Uh, it was in Mexico, at, in Monterey, but I don't recall. In fairness, I don't know if it's true about his last fight, but I recall being at one of his fights, I think in Las Vegas, where they were selling those masks at the concession stand. Okay, so there's an angle. Yeah, we're working so an angle by letting Perez like, wear his luchador mask. And that was pre-Reebok, however. 
But I, I agree, though, that... How like, sweet would it be if you could roll up and get a Nurmagomedov hat? Oh, yeah. From the, from the, uh, the concession stand. Like, even if it was shitty and, like, lined in plastic and, and made of terrible synthetic yak fur or whatever it is. But yeah, but, man, you want to sell one of those to, like, some drunk Vegas bro who only plans to wear it for the rest of the night and then, you know, doesn't, knows he doesn't have room for it in his carry-on, so he doesn't care what kind of material it's made out of. True. He's got 20 bucks he never wants to see again. Give him a bababka or whatever they call it. The only problem that I could foresee with that is not knowing who the actual dangerous people were. Because <laughs> okay. as, as it stands now, you look around and anybody wearing that traditional Dagestani hat. You know, you want to stay away from that person. Stay clear yes. of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do, I do think, though, it's a good point that it really highlights how rare it is for anybody to be able to show off a little bit of individuality when that kind of thing is noticeable. And it's just like when you just see this endless parade of guys in the same exact stuff over and over again, I I just feel like I keep waiting for somebody in either Reebok or the UFC to realize that that's a problem, especially for this sport, and to do something about it. And we've seen nothing so far. You know what it reinforces to me is the idea that we could still do anything that we want if we're the UFC and or Reebok. Like, you're going to let Habib Nurmagomedov wear his hat, but Donald Cerrone can't put the patch on his shorts for his grandma, and Ben Rothwell can't wear his cloak. Uh, seems like if we really wanted to, we could make that stuff happen. How about maybe the message here is headgear, anything goes. Any, just get as creative as you possibly can. I'm saying top hat, not a bad idea. Somebody could be like the gentleman fighter. Top hat with goldenpalace.com around the. <laughs> well, yeah. now you're pushing it a little bit. Like one of those, uh, you know, Viking helmets. How about one of Alexander those? Alexander Gustafson look good in one of those. One of those uh, construction worker hats that has the two beers on either side of it with the straws that go into your mouth. <laughs> well, all right. That's another way you could go, I guess. Um, Tank Abbott could roll that. All right, next question this week comes from David Golden. He writes, This weekend at UFC on Fox, Tampa edition, Michael Chiesa scored a huge win when he submitted Benil Dariush with a crushing squeeze of the face. This win is one of the biggest of Chiesa's UFC career thus far, and in my opinion, uh, is the win he needed to crack the top 10 at lightweight. However, when I mentioned this to a friend, he, he replied by saying, quote, Chiesa's hands are hot garbage, son. And I believe <laughs> wow. it was not a tweet I made on the subject. And I and and believe it or not, a tweet I made on the subject was met with hostility as one person called me, quote, corny ass, overly hopeful motherfucker. <laughs> wow. Hello, welcome to Twitter, everyone. So my question is, where do you guys think this win puts Chiesa in the division? I think he cracks the top 10, but I'm a corny ass motherfucker. So what do I know? Wow. What was the what was that full phrase again? The corny ass, overly uh, hopeful, corny ass, corny ass, overly hopeful motherfucker. And David Golden as motherfucker has two words here. I don't know if that was quoted directly from from Twitter. Oh wow. Okay. Well, I think maybe the truth is somewhere in between <laughs> those extremes. Uh, it doesn't help him if you're trying to talk about cracking the top ten. That if you're at lightweight, you know that's. That's where the top 10 is really a top 10. It's not just like the 10 dudes you can name. There, there's a, it's tough to crack that one. There's a lot of good fighters in it. Uh, and, but I agree, especially if you look at his last two where he goes out there, submits Jim Miller, then submits Benil Dariush. Now you're starting to see a, a guy with a little bit of momentum from him. I mean, you, you sure you can point to some aspects of his game that are 
I would say not as strong as others. Others would say hot garbage. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. But you still see a guy who is finding a way to use his strengths and win fights, and that that is a man you want to take note of. Yeah, and I mean, uh, if you just look at the UFC rankings, Benil Dariush, he just he had that draw with Michael Johnson, right? And those guys are tied at seven right now in the official rankings. Uh, and uh, Michael Chiesa came into this fight at number 14 because for whatever reason, we run the UFC rankings all the way down to 15 and don't include the champion. Uh, but so that's a good win. And like, I don't think it's totally out of the question to say that he could sneak in front of somebody like Dustin Poirier or, or Edson Barboza to get into the top 10. And, and uh, you know, Chiesa, e- even though parts of his game maybe hot garbage son uh he is still a dude where i think he's absolutely right when he says he gets stronger the longer the fight goes on and like he's one of those guys who as i think nick nate diaz would say has a black belt in cardio and uh uh if you let him hang around like as we learned within it by by way of literal example this past weekend he can crush your face in the second round even if you know, yeah, dollars to donuts. He's probably not as good of a mixed martial arts fighter as you. He still beat you because he crushed your face in the second round. So, like, that's a that's a dude you can be in this sport, and that's perfectly valuable and and valid. And so, like, if if uh, the professors who do the voting on the UFC rankings saw, found it in their hearts to put Michael Chiesa in the top ten, they would get no argument from me. Yeah. Plus, he's rolling in there straight out of Spokane with that tiger tattoo on him. I, I, I know you new. like that. I swear that's new. That he, I think he got at least additional some additional ink done on that tiger, because that's. And if you live in Spokane, I think the the level of your manhood is is tested by the size of your tiger tattoo, because <laughs> everyone has one there. So as long as it's like the bigger the tiger tattoo, the more prominent you are in the community. Yeah, it's a good place to go to get your tiger tattoo because you know the tattoo artists there have a lot of experience with them. Uh, can we also just mention that Michael Chiesa is billed as being from Spokane Valley, which is a community just to the east of Spokane where there is a mall where I once bought a pair of shoes. Uh, but other than that, uh, being billed from Spokane Valley is kind of like when the old school Team Quest guys would make sure that they got billed as being from Gresham, Oregon, even though <laughs> yes. Gresham is like yeah. 15 minutes outside Portland. They're basically the same town. Yeah, that is weird. And it, it seems like, uh, like... No, 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 no. Not Spokane. Spokane Valley. Yeah, and I also feel like if you're a fighter, you never make yourself sound more fearsome by adding Valley to the the place that you're from. That doesn't work that way. That's true. It's a good point. You know how you, you know, you, the same way, like if you add like heights or something to whatever your city, city you're from, you don't sound grittier and tougher that way. It kind of goes the opposite direction. Well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you want to air to the co-main event podcast in future weeks, you know how to get a hold of us. You can go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes on the days that we're not recording the podcast. Uh, we always miss some news. It's short. It's funny. You'll like it. If you don't, it's really easy to unsubscribe. There are visual aids. There are sometimes visual aids. Uh, and, you know, if you go to the website, you can also find a link to Cotton Bureau where you could buy those T-shirts. Or you could walk they, around looking like an idiot. Before they are lost to history. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one.
Well, Ben, the UFC needs light heavyweight fighters so bad that poor Dana White had to spend Friday night in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, watching the RFA event, uh, just scouting out the main event where the uh, light heavyweight title was on the line. I believe uh, Devin Scott was the man's name, emerged victorious, possible uh, national champion in in collegiate wrestling. Uh, But it really kind of... uh, underlines how how shallow and in need of new talent this 205 pound division is in the ufc and i think that also was demonstrated when you watch glover tashira and rashad evans fight on saturday night in the main event of ufc on fox 19 uh glover tashira is 36 years old and a guy who despite the fact that he has been a top light heavyweight fighter for a really long time and clearly demonstrated against rashad evans can still be very dangerous is not necessarily a guy that we're clamoring to see fight for the title anytime soon because we remember how that went the last time that he did it and rashad evans by comparison a guy who's been trying to work his way back from his own uh long injury uh inactivity uh, has fallen on hard times in this comeback. He lost to Ryan Bader at UFC 192, and now this loss uh, by KO in the first round to Glover Teixeira may well signal the end of his martial times and or his time as an elite fighter. Uh, I don't know where you want to start with this, if you want to start with Glover or if you want to start with Rashad, uh, but it was a light heavyweight fight that at least up until the point where Glover called out Anthony Johnson kind of left you feeling like, boy, where do we go from here? Yeah, well, and it was also a light heavyweight fight that, as we talked about on uh, last week's show, it seemed like where are we going to go from here was the question heading into it. It didn't seem like a fight that was really necessarily about much, except each guy kind of trying to hang in there. Uh, maybe the... As good a place to start as any is the question of Rashad Evans and his martial times, because I was struck by some of the comments he made in the post-fight press conference. And as you know, you've talked to Rashad before. He he's one of the best interviews in the game, although he doesn't really get credit for it because he's not the best interview in the way of being really brash about trash talk and stuff like that. But he is he's really thoughtful, and whenever you ask him a question, you get the sense that he is actually thinking about an answer. Uh, rather than just giving you some canned response and has a lot of interesting thoughts and, and stuff to say about the fight game. And so when I heard him kind of thinking his way through the situation he was in and not quite saying he was done, not quite saying he was absolutely determined to fight on, it left me thinking about where he would go and where he should go. Because I feel like Rashad Evans, because there's such a lack of uh, depth in the light heavyweight division right now, he could hang around because if, if the UFC got rid of him, Bellator could use a guy like Rashad Evans, considering what they got going on over there right now. Hell, he might come over there and be light heavyweight champion in Bellator for all we know. So he could continue. Obviously he could continue for the, for the you know, the near future. Uh, should he continue? Just a quick fact check. It was Devin Clark who won the RFA light heavyweight title on Friday night. So save your cards and letters on that subject. Uh, And you're right, Rashad Evans is uh, a thoughtful guy, and I would say one of the the good dudes of the light heavyweight division and a guy who was uh, unfairly maligned for years, I think, in terms of just popularity. I was thinking about that the other day. like Compared to what we see on the regular now from guys like Conor McGregor, can you just even reflect on the fact that it was considered so brash and kind of uh, disrespectful and inappropriate that Rashad Evans basically like grabbed his crotch and blew a kiss to Forrest Griffin while they were fighting? Like that is the thing that at least 
if you hear Dana White tell it, kind of like sparked the outrage of the UFC fan base against Rashad Evans. And or now when he was I look back on by that. Matt Hughes of showboating on the right. Ultimate Fighter. Yeah, now you look back on it and it's like, man, if if Conor McGregor or Nate Diaz grabbed his crotch and blew somebody a kiss during a fight, we would think it was the greatest thing we'd ever seen. Yeah. Like we, it would, vines for days. We'd have a gif of it before the fight was over. And I guess if your question is, should Rashad go on, it always comes back to the question of, like, what does he have lined up next, you know? You think Rashad Evans could be a good television analyst for uh, Fox Sports 1 or ESPN or whoever would hire him, but again, like, there's a very limited number of those jobs available, and not everyone can do it. Now, you you know, Rashad Evans seems like the kind of guy who could go on to do something else in his post-martial times after his career is over. Uh, but again, without knowing him personally, you just don't know what his plans are. Yeah, but even if his plans are, you know what, I don't have anything lined up, so I'm going to keep fighting, that carries him, what, two or three more years? Uh, before, or at least before you get into the point where everybody's wondering why is this guy still fighting? I think he's the problem is he's kind of... He's reached the point where from age and from the injuries kind of piling up where he hasn't been able to compete very much and he's not quite as quick as he used to be and some of the skills that he relied on aren't really there for him anymore and his his chin is starting to look a little suspect now too. So as you know, happens to a lot of guys with age once they start uh, taking some of those hits and I feel like, you know, if you're going to hang around in the UFC and you're ruling out a title shot, or you're at least being honest enough with yourself to realize that there's probably no way you're going to get a title shot unless a bunch of crazy stuff happens, then I, what are you telling yourself you're there for? Just to, to have a couple fun fights and try to make some money while you figure out what comes next. Uh, I think that that can work for some guys if they get that in their head that that's really what they're doing and they adjust their approach accordingly. But Rashad Evans never really had that kind of approach. Rashad Evans' thing has always been climbing up the ranks there. He's never been the guy who just kind of picking interesting fights. Like, when's the last time you thought of a Rashad Evans matchup that was really, really exciting outside of its ramifications for the division? Right. He just, yeah, he doesn't seem like that kind of dude. He doesn't seem like the kind of dude who would just hang around uh, just to extend his career. Um, let's talk a little bit about Glover Tashira, who gets this victory. But again, like I said, is is a guy who getting into his late thirties now and has been a top two hundred five pound fighter for a long time. Uh, but got absolutely worked by John Jones when they fought at UFC one seventy two, and then turned around and lost to Phil Davis at UFC one seventy nine. In the fight after that, he's got three straight wins now, including one over Ovin Saint Prue, who uh, has the opportunity to become the interim light heavyweight champion next Saturday night. Uh, but he also has beat Patrick Cummins and now Rashad Evans. Uh, he when he got on the mic after this fight and immediately called out Anthony Johnson and was basically you know very kind of honest about it and was like, we nobody wants to sit around and wait for John Jones and Daniel Cormier to finish their soap opera. Let's dance. I thought to myself, now here is a cagey veteran who knows exactly what he's doing because, uh, you know, no one necessarily wants to see, uh, Glover to fight John Jones again. I don't think we really even want to see Glover to fight Daniel Cormier really considering how he fared against wrestler Phil Davis, uh, you know, back in October, 2014. But, you talk about Glover Tashira and Anthony Johnson, and we all know what's going to go down in that fight. I think that is a matchup that we can all agree on. Yeah, and that is one where I guess it seems like you you think about Glover Tashira and uh, the the limits of what he brings to the table, 
and you can't think of a better possible use for that limits for those li- that that limited scope of skills than to put it up against a guy like Anthony Johnson and then everybody just sit sit very still and wait for somebody to end up on the floor unconscious, which means it'll probably be a grappling contest for five rounds and then end in a split decision or something. But that is one of those fights where it seems like just the sheer violence quotient of it makes it kind of inevitable. As soon as it's spoken out loud, or so it made me wonder, why did it seem like nobody was really considering that? Yeah, it's like even weird. Dana White was like, oh, I have to admit I like that fight. And you're like, yeah, there's of only course. five light heavyweights who think that <laughs> yeah. every matchup would have been considered. And I see that Rumble Johnson, after uh, Glover Deshira said, let's dance, he then tweeted out, I don't dance, I fight. So seems like he's down. So I, I, I got no problem with putting that together. Let's talk briefly about how this fight actually went, though, because you mentioned Glover Tashira's limited skills, or not limited skills, but like limited toolbox for what he brings to the table. Uh, and this was one of those fights, much like the Junior Dos Santos uh, Ben Rothwell fight from a week or two ago, where as soon as it started, I had this feeling in my gut, like, oh, this is how this is going to go. Because Glover Deshira came out of his corner, uh, ready to press forward and, and kind of push the action from the start. And it just felt as though Rashad Evans didn't have an answer for that. He couldn't stop his forward pro- progression, couldn't take him down and just basically couldn't get him off him for lack of a better way to say it. And was just kind of trying to circle around the outside uh, and, you know, against a guy like Glover, who's just going to keep coming forward. When you do that, eventually you get pinched up against the fence and uh, you get punched right in the point of the jaw with that left hook that knocked him down. And then uh, the series of right hands shuts the lights out or at least causes Herb Dean to step in and stop the fight. Like that to me signaled, a rightly or wrongly and maybe unfairly, but you watch that fight and you think Rashad Evans has declined. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there were less than two minutes of the right. fight. So and, I mean, it, maybe it's possible in the next 13 minutes, he would have, would have got things going, but it sure didn't look that way from what we got to see. Well, no. And especially just from his approach there where it was immediately him kind of circling with his back up against the fence and you you did have an idea that if he didn't find a way to break out of that very quickly, it was going to go badly for him. Uh, and I remember we talked last week about the, the, I believe it was the Jack Slack breakdown highlighting that Glover Teixeira basically threw, yes. <laughs> threw one combo. Yes. Uh, and then he goes in there against Rashad Evans and... It, you, you, as you said, get that sense early on that as soon as he can get Rashad Evans to stand still in front of him, he might not need too many different combinations. He can just, you know, press that one special move button that he has on the controller, and that'll be about it. And maybe like it's kind of like what we used to say about heavyweight, where you almost felt at times like, are we really finding out who the best fighter is, or are we finding out who can land land the first big ham hock on the other dude's face? Glover Teixeira, I mean, that's one of those things where if you if if that's your skill to have, that's not a bad one as far as age goes, because Rashad Evans relying on a lot of speed and quickness, being able to uh, turn it into some different kind of fight. Where Glover Teixeira, all he really wants to do is to do the thing we started as standing up here with our fists up opposite each other, throw one of those things and land it. As long as you're not fighting John Jones, you got a pre- pretty decent chance with that. Even if you're fighting Anthony Johnson, who should beat a guy like like Glover Teixeira, you still got a pretty decent chance. 
And I think that's one of the reasons we want to kind of see that fight. So hopefully it gets booked while we wait for the uh, light heavyweight log jam to sort itself out. Let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben? And then we will move on to round number two. Ben, I don't have a lot to say about this other than maybe, I guess, Are You Fucking Kidding Me? But I did feel like we needed to mention on the podcast that George St. Pierre went on the MMA fortnight tonight or today. And I'm uh, reading the tweet from Sean Alshadi. Uh, with the paraphrased quote from George St. Pierre, where he says, quote, there's three things in life that excite me, a woman, of course, dinosaurs, and the violence of the octagon. Huh. Are you fucking kidding me, George? <laughs> You're not even going to say anything I else I mean, what do you that? say? This quote makes me think of George St. Pierre dressed up like Indiana Jones, like in pursuit of dinosaurs somewhere, maybe with like with a second grade class behind him are you gonna sit there and say dinosaurs do not excite you no man everybody's excited by dinosaurs and what about a woman of course <laughs> i guess it, for this list the thing that excites me the least is the violence of the octagon <laughs> no offense violence of the octagon it's it's hard to stand up to a woman and dinosaurs still are you fucking kidding me are you kidding me my are you fucking kidding me uh and i'm gonna circle back around this to to a in a different aspect later on in the show but as you know, Chad, uh, UFC featherweight Diego Brandao arrested over the weekend, it seems, for an alleged assault at a strip club where in Albuquerque, where he is as alleged to have hit an employee of the strip club with a pistol, um, which not, is not... Not how you use those, by not, the way. <laughs> thank you. Uh, and I'm scrolling through my like headline of MMA-related news items, uh, kind of generator thing and i see one from an irish news media outlet called the independent where the headline just reads former opponent of conor mcgregor arrested for allegedly striking a strip club employee with a gun huh. are you fucking kidding me i see what you're doing over there in ireland i see it and i can't say i don't understand why you seem to view the entire mma world through that lens but are you fucking kidding me you fucking kidding me all right that's gonna do it for round number one we'll be right back with round number two. Well, Chad... The clash you have been waiting for has finally arrived. April 23rd, the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada at UFC 197. The main event, John Bones Jones versus Ovince St. Prue for the interim UFC light heavyweight title. A series of words I guess I always knew I would say, just not all together in one sentence like that. Now, Here's what I was struck by when we did the obligatory let's use our Fox TV time to basically run a commercial for our pay-per-view coming up next week is when Joe Rogan is interviewing John Jones and Ovin St. Prue and at one point turns to Ovin St. Prue and says, you know, watching the, the arc of your career, we all knew that a title shot was inevitable at some point. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but these are... This is basically the, the spirit of what he's saying. I think he used the term inevitable. And I found myself sitting there wondering, did we? Did we all know that? Because I don't think we did, Chad. 
I don't think we did. No, I mean, we talked about Oban St. Preux when this fight got announced as a guy that when he first showed up on our radar in Strike Force, we looked at him and we thought, huh, this guy brings an incredible physical stature to the fight. He seems like he has the athletic tools to maybe one day be the kind of competitor who could give John Jones a run for his money. Uh, but even today, even in his most recent UFC appearances, he looks like a guy who's still at times trying to figure it out out there. Uh, and so that is a thing that leads you to believe he's not going to have very much success against John Jones, who up until this point has appeared to at least inside the cage, have it all figured out now outside the cage, kind of a different story. Uh, John Jones, John Jones wise. I'll tell you what though. I keep having this nightmare and the nightmare is that John Jones comes into this fight with so much to prove and so much time off behind him that he goes out there and he tries to do John Jones things like some kind of spinning, jumping back kick elbow thing. Okay. Defying the laws of gravity. And much like Uriah Faber in his uh, first fight against Mike Brown, either launches himself unwittingly into an Oven St. Prue punch or Chael Sonnen style against Anderson Silva merely falls down and like basically falls into the waiting arms of Oven St. Prue's rear naked choke or something like that. Ben, is it possible at all that this is sort of a trap fight for John Jones? Wow. This is a nightmare you have, you say? You just wake up. You wake up screaming, cold sweat. (laughs) Breathing hard. (sighs) I wake up screaming, John Jones, in the middle of the night. (laughs) Your wife's saying, was it the dream again (laughs) about Owen St. Prue? Yeah, it was the St. Prue dream again. It was the OSP dream again. Well, Splash cold water on my face. I guess you have to consider that possibility because it seems like the only way that this does not go exactly the way you think it's going to go is if – John Jones tries too hard, uh, does something too crazy, and the world is shocked more than – I'm using the passive voice there more than Ovin St. Prue shocks the world. Because otherwise, like it just seems like uh, – we talked before about those kind of situations where it seems like that – the only reason to think that that might happen is how so obviously it shouldn't happen. That's pretty much the situation here. There's no reason that Ovin St. Prue should beat John Jones when you just look at them – skill for skill, trying to look how this matchup will go. There's no reason to think that Owen St. Prue wins, except that it would be totally ridiculous if he won an MMA be like that sometimes. Yeah, that's the kind of matchup where you can imagine the MMA gods having one of their parties where they're all playing dominoes, and then the music stops, the the needle slides off the record, and someone bursts in the front door and says, the UFC just booked John Jones against Owen St. Prue, and all the MMA gods just... They take a moment to consider it, and they just laugh (laughs) because they know what comes next. Let me ask you this. In the weird event that Ovin St. Preux wins this fight, what do you think the contingency plan is? What do you think is uh, scrawled on the cocktail napkin that is under glass in the UFC office that says break glass if Ovin St. Preux beats John Jones? (laughs) Like, what is the what happens then? Do you take interim champion Ovin St. Preux and have him fight Daniel Cormier? Yes. Or do you rematch him with John Jones? Nope. You you feed him to Daniel Cormier. You hope that Daniel Cormier sets the universe right again and does what he ought to do. And then you tell yourself, well, everybody knew we were going to do John Jones versus Daniel Cormier again. Doesn't even matter if it makes some kind of linear sense. And we will all agree. We will all say, yeah, it doesn't matter. 
So John Jones comes into this fight with a fair amount of inactivity. Uh, I don't know if you would want to say ring rust is going to be a factor. He comes into this fight, we think, given the photos that we've seen of him in training, where he just looks absolutely beastly, particularly the one where he's standing next to Andre Arlovsky, uh, and they're both flexing, and John Jones looks every bit just like a monster heavyweight. So he comes into this fight, we think, with some added muscle mass. I don't know if you've ever heard this before, Ben, but added muscle mass takes more blood and oxygen to run it what? when you're out there having a fight. So wait, they might get tired faster? That's, that what you're saying? That's a, huh. a weird rumor that's going around. I had not heard that. Uh, so, the, I mean, there are some unknowns for John Jones, like Conor McGregor style. Could the, this like added bulk and or ring rust uh, result in us seeing a, a, a better or a, a not quite up to snuff version of John Jones? Well, there's a difference between us seeing like a diminished John Jones or a John Jones that's not as good as he has been and a John Jones who is not up to snuff because the snuff in this situation as we've already discussed is Ovin St. Prue. As long as you're still better than the other guy, you can live with maybe not being at your absolute best. And John Jones could be a long ways from his absolute best and still be better than Ovin St. Prue. So if John Jones wins this, then we have an even weirder scenario where John Jones is the interim light heavyweight champion and he is facing a unification bout against the champion champion, Daniel Cormier, who John Jones just defeated in his last bout to defend the light heavyweight title. That is correct. So that's going to be pretty weird. Uh, it seems like the lead up, I mean, these guys have already done just about everything that they can do to hype their fights and, and peak their rivalry. If John Jones, cause John Jones already done brought a belt to the last press conference that these two guys were at. Uh, if John Jones has his own title to start talking about, Seems like this thing could get kind of insufferable in a hurry. I think it could get delightfully weird. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say. And honestly, don't we all still think of, and especially if if he wins this, almost likely when he wins this and he has the interim title, won't we all in our heads kind of reverse the two? John Jones is the champion. Daniel Cormier really has the interim title. Come on. That's how we think of it. I mean, and in terms of how everything played out, like that kind of makes logical sense because John Jones was stripped of the title. Daniel Cormier beat Anthony Johnson. Like that situation could easily have been an interim title fight. We just didn't know how long John Jones was going to be out at the time. It turned out to be not as long as maybe we thought uh, before he got to go see a folksy Albuquerque judge who told him no more of this foolishness, Mr. Jones. This time. This, this is time. the last time. This time and then ne the next time you come in here, those are the last two times, Mr. Jones. <laughs> uh, so, we, you know, that that happened. So, yeah, I mean – if people think, if people feel that way, I can't necessarily say that they are, you know, mis misguided. Like I, that's that makes sense to me. Yeah, and I think that that's the thing that still uh, grants this fight a little bit of remaining legitimacy. Because otherwise, your light heavyweight champion out for just a little while, he's not going to have surgery and be out for you know, a year or anything, and you're creating an interim title. You can, you know, you can get it, get away with it when it comes to John Jones, just because he still feels like he ought to be the real champion. And we might be looking at one of those 
Nermy Daryl Horter situations where maybe a tune-up fight isn't the worst thing that can happen to you. Sure, yeah, I get unless some, you're the guy who's helping the other tuned dude up. Tune up. Are you the, you're the the tune tuner upper or the tune uppy? The guy the, who gets tuned up. Wait, no, the other guy's tuning up. Yeah, right? it's a tune-up fight. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not sure how that works. We might have to get an expert in here to tell us. By all means, how that works. go find that expert. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. Uh, we'll be right back with round number three. Ben Benson Henderson says other UFC fighters are calling him, including, in his words, quote, a couple of title holders to ask him about free agency. Uh, this weekend, he makes his Bellator debut against Bellator welterweight champion Andre Koroshov. Uh, I remember when Phil Davis debuted in Bellator after crossing the aisle from the UFC at the Dynamite event where he won the light heavyweight tournament. Uh, and it seemed to be, at least at the time, kind of a, a good springboard for Phil Davis. He came out there and 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 made short work everybody, and and uh, we came away from it thinking, "Wow, Phil Davis, pretty good, pretty good light heavyweight." Now we haven't seen too very much of Phil Davis since then, but do you feel like Benson Henderson could get the same kind of bump if he makes it look good this weekend against Andre Koroshov? I think he could. It's a little bit different than Phil Davis's because he had the advantage of being in that tournament, which kind of captured our imaginations. And then even though the tournament got weird, as tournaments often do, where the guy who wins the first round doesn't necessarily end up fighting in the next one, he still got to go out there, win two fights in a night, old school style, and everybody going, oh yeah, Phil Davis. Now how about that? Uh, I think the the difference for Henderson is I think that he's facing a, a stiffer test here. I, I don't know if people appreciate that uh, Korshaw's a pretty tough opponent for him, and at welterweight, uh, there are a lot of ways for this to go wrong for Benson Henderson, and it seems like it's kind of the first day on the job. You need to have a pretty good performance there before everybody leaps to judgment about whether it was a smart decision on your part or not. Yeah, Andre Korshaw, 18-1. and one. He was the Bellator Season 10 welterweight tournament, tournament, uh, tournament winner. Uh, and his only career loss is to Ben Askren, who is himself a pretty good 170-pound fighter. I don't know if you've ever heard of that guy. Uh, and that was way back in 2013 at Bellator 97. Uh, he's only fought once since winning the Bellator tournament, but he did defeat Douglas Lima by unanimous decision uh, last July. Let's say Koroshov manages to win this one. Uh, do we come right out of it immediately and say, oh, this was a mistake? This was a mistake for Ben Henderson. Or does the jury still have to be out on the Ben Henderson to Bellator story for a little while. Well, there's what we will do and what we should do. What we will do, I think you know, if you you know MMA fans the way I do. No, come on. I expect everyone to take a sober uh, and rational viewpoint. Very nuanced. I think there will be a lot of nuance in the uh, public discussion. A lot of people deferring their judgment until a later date. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure that will happen. Or alternative theory okay maybe what happens is people will light up their twitter feeds with exclamations of what an epic blunder this was on benson henderson's part to go to bellator and get beat up at welterweight 
Perhaps the, Uf- That's a the UFC too. releases a statement saying that it is aware of a situation <laughs> or regarding Benson Henderson. Just a, a smiley face emoji. No, I mean, I don't think that UFC – it seemed like they, they parted on fairly good terms. At least, you know, we've talked before about how Dana White is not great at breakups. And, of course, he tossed a few little barbs at Benson Henderson, but really nothing compared to what he usually does in those situations. Uh, I think it's a ballsy move on Benson Henderson's part uh, for several reasons. Uh, and, and I think it has a, a great opportunity to pay off for him because if he does go in there to Bellator, he has kind of a, a head of steam a little bit after leaving the UFC the way he did being kind of outspoken um, without being a jerk about it on some of these issues. And then if he rolls right in there, uh, beats uh, Korshop for the, the, at, at welterweight for the title there, and he can kind of call his own shots from there. If he wants to go to lightweight and fight, he can do that. If he wants to hang out at welterweight. Uh, and it then will seem like, the knee-jerk reactions that would have been on, on the negative side if he lost, I think will be just as great on the positive side for him. And, and I, I think that it, we've seen that the best part of Benson Henderson's career in the eye of, eyes of fans was not when he held the lightweight title, but in that post-lightweight title period where he seemed like a little bit more of a riverboat gambler and just, hey, give me whoever I want to go out there and scrap. He, this is kind of a continuation of that, and people in MMA dig that. Yeah, and frankly, he did seem to, to, I don't know if you want to say he got more likable, because I don't necessarily think there was anything to dislike about Benson Henderson, except the fact that he kept winning those close decisions that, and there were a few of them there where maybe, uh, he should have lost, but he ended up getting the nod. Now, you say it's a ballsy move. If I'm going to put on my tinfoil conspiracy hat here, uh, do you think that keeping Benson Henderson at welterweight when he comes into Be- uh, Bellator had anything to do with, wanting to keep him away from Will Brooks just because Will Brooks, obviously the Bellator lightweight champion. Uh, if Be- if Ben Henderson is going to roll in and get a title shot right off the bat, I don't know if you want him to fight Will Brooks just on the offhand chance that Will Brooks wins that fight. Uh, again, without having thought about the matchup at all. Uh, but there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of speculation or maybe it's a done deal at this point that Will Brooks is going to skate out of Bellator after his next two fights. Uh, and he could very well wind up in the UFC. So if you're, if you're Bellator, you don't want to score the coup of getting Benson Henderson only to have him lose to Will Brooks and then Will Brooks. You hand off to the UFC. Right. Well, and you see, I don't know if you've seen Will Brooks on Twitter recently talking about how the lawyers tell him he can't even talk about a situation that's going on right now. So there is that possibility that they, they just don't want to get involved in that. Uh, I also think, though, that the the inevitable move for Benson Henderson, as has been discussed for years, was up to welterweight, that that cut to lightweight is pretty tough on him. So I think he was going to end up there eventually anyway. But I also think I can see the argument that, hey, if you go in there and you throw him into a welterweight title fight against a, a tough fighter who not a whole lot of people know, then you kind of have a, a no-lose scenario there if you're Bellator. Lightweight is already the, the lone division where it seems like you have real talent that can rival the talent that the UFC has, even if you don't have quite as many of them. But you have really good, talented fighters at lightweight. Uh, and Benson Henderson would kind of just be one more. If he goes in there and welterweight, if he becomes the welterweight champion, then all right, you got a guy people know as the welterweight champion. If he loses uh, and Korshoff beats him, then people have a reason to know Korshoff. So uh, I feel like that just logically would make the most sense, but it could also be that and your tinfoil hat stuff. And let's say uh, Ben Henderson comes out here and, and, and wins this fight and becomes the Bellator welterweight champion. Uh, you know, there are some 
halfway interesting matchups, I guess you could say, for, for Ben Henderson at welterweight. You got Paul Daly over there, uh, you know, Josh Koscheck, if he were to one day become an, an active Bellator fighter and string together a couple wins. Uh, uh, you know, guys like Paul Bradley are over there. So uh, Ben Henderson could make welterweight work at Bellator, even though uh, <clears throat> I think that the uh, – you know, as you said, for a long time, Bellator seems to have the the more marketable lightweight division than anywhere else. Uh, maybe maybe Ben Henderson is the key to establishing the welterweight division as as something similar. And hey, maybe one day uh, MVP uh, Michael Page gets done crushing cans and and moves up there, and then you get to see a wild ass fight between MVP and uh, Benson Henderson. Yeah, hashtag would watch. Would watch. Although, if I had to guess, I would say Michael Venom Page spends a lot of time on his backside. In that fight. Although, who knows, man? Maybe knows he comes indeed. out with that weird video game style and, and Benson Henderson just I wish people know could what see do. what you did with your arms right now. Weird video game style? Yeah. That's it's kind of that. A, I'm not going to say it's not weird. It's, but you're, you're, it's freezing you right now, though. You're at my mercy. I could do, I could launch any sort of attack that I wanted at this point and you would be powerless. When you say weird video game, you like what people don't realize is that. Chad means like Nintendo game, like yep. when they're all just little blocks of Double pixels. dribble. That's yeah. what I'm talking about. That's sure. Do you want to do just saying stuff and then we'll get out of here for this week? By all means. All right. I'm going to stop doing this with my arms. Ben, what's your just saying stuff for this week? Well, I mentioned before Diego Brandel's arrest outside a strip club for basically pistol whipping. Allegedly. I'm aware of a situation, Ben. Now, here's where I'm going with this. Uh, I mentioned the the lens through which the Irish media seemed to see it. Now, I'm going to read to you the UFC's statement okay. on Diego Brandau. Lay it on me. We are aware that UFC featherweight Diego Brandau was arrested Friday following an altercation at a business establishment in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We are in the process of gathering more information at this time. While we are concerned by the nature of the reported allegations, it is important to note that Brandau is entitled to due process in a court of law we will have no further comment until more information can be gathered. Now, I'm just saying an altercation at a business establishment is some beautifully vague official statement language that takes all of the fun out of alleged pistol whipping outside a strip club. I'm just saying. Just saying. You business know, establishment. Yes. When they were, <laughs> when they remained so intentionally vague about where you were arrested, if you were arrested outside a grocery store, they might just say grocery store. Yeah. Business establishment screams Google this. Yeah. Like try to find out what sort of business yeah. establishment this was. That is a business establishment in the same way it is a gentleman's club. Like if you run a strip club and people, you know, ask you what you do, you might say, oh, I run a business establishment. You know? I am a local businessman. I'm starting to feel like, Statement is not the right word for the what the UFC, these missives that the UFC publishes when bad shit happens. And you can always tell that it happens because it shows up on Twitter. It just says the UFC has released a statement regarding yes. Diego Brandao. And then you click on it and it all every single time it says that the UFC is aware yeah. of what has happened. You know what that statement is? It's it basically the short version of that statement is we know. We know. Stop asking us. We know. All right? Damn it. We know. Well, Ben, it was announced this week that they're going to be putting title on the fightpass.com during International Fight Week. What? So I guess this week, I'm just saying uh, that I guess 
should we really be impressed that the fightpass.com is out here in these streets nabbing actual interesting hashtag would watch fights because that seems to be the popular opinion that is going on right now uh you know people say oh great work by the fightpass.com getting these uh these quality fights and putting them on there but i have to wonder where does a fight like Rafael Dos Anjos and Eddie Alvarez wind up if there is no fightpass.com? Does it wind up on UFC on Fox? Does it wind up on Fox Sports 1? Because that leads me to think, huh, that would be somewhere where it would be free to me with my cable subscription. But now it's on the fightpass.com. So I guess this week I'm just saying, uh, yay? <laughs> That was great. That was really great. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Check in with us next week. We'll tell you all the stuff that happened. What is this? Is this UFC 197? What's happening? UFC 198? UFC 197. 197? I lose track when they cancel them and then they screw up the numbers. I know you do. That's why you got to call them bitter rivals so I know what I'm watching because John Jones versus Ovin St. Prue is some bitter rivals type shit. Oh, yeah. No, it's been inevitable for a long time. (laughs) We'll look into that. We'll tell you what happened. Uh, Then we'll look ahead to the forthcoming action in the mixed martial arts world. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Man, I miss those mariachi Los Diablos. Yeah, those, really I noticed there's a lot more space in here this week for not crammed in with those guys with those